0: these guys know, I've talked to all of them, I've talked to all of them individually, I've talked to coach, yeah, it's, yeah, like it's a no-nonsense approach now, like we have to go into now, yeah, and see um, at what level we can get to, because we see these guys individually, yeah, as as a reason why everybody was calling us, or everybody's writing about every single player individually, like then maybe I need to look at myself and say, Okay, what the hell are you doing? You know, like is this something I'm doing wrong? Um I know we have to look at fit sometimes, but I think generally if I'm looking at fit with this team, I have to give it till the end of the season to look at that. Especially if there's nothing that comes at me that says, Hey, you know, like <laughs> this is something compelling. And you got to do this, you know, like to, to move this thing forward now and for the future of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, everybody,
1: I'm Brian Dunstan, joined once again by my man, Keith Reedon for the NBA trade deadline version of the Puck and Hoop podcast. You know, since we did a pretty much a hockey-only podcast about the All-Star Game just recently, it's only fitting that with the NBA trade deadline uh, just passing, we focus on hoop, which is what we're doing. Now, right off the top in the cold open, you heard Raptors president Masai Ujiri address a couple of things about his team this season and the trade deadline and the moves or non-moves the Raptors Have made. Um, And so we're going to start with the Raptors, although there were some big deals, one in particular that caught our eye today. We're going to talk about the Raptors because, hey, the reason why we started this podcast was to support our local teams and the Raptors are our local team. So, Keith, you heard what Masai had to say. What did you make of what what the president had to say about what the Raptors did or did not do at the trade deadline?
2: Well, you know what? I, I always thought that the Raptors should add But at what cost? And it seems that Masai wasn't willing to pay a big cost to add. And when I mean a big cost, one of his established stars, I mean, he wasn't willing to depart with these guys. And he wanted to see what they are. And it is funny. Like, you know, yesterday I was watching the game and they were making the point that, you know, every time it seems that Pascal has a big game, Fred Van Vliet does not. And every time Fred has a big game, Pascal does not. Now, I didn't fully agree with that, but I did note, like, you know, yesterday, you know, Fred had an okay game. Pascal had a really good game, you know? So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, the main thing is is to take these remaining games, see what you have, uh, see what you can move. I mean, a lot of these guys are on, you know, their contracts are expiring, right? So... You're going to have to make some tough decisions. And I personally like keeping these guys because I think, you know, some of them have championship DNA. And, you know, I was actually kind of in an argument today with a few Raptors fans and they're telling me that, you know, Fred is overrated, Pascal's overrated, (laughs) and they're rated highly. Yeah, they're rated highly because they're what we see and they're what we have, and we tend to inflate what we have. And I said, you realize these guys were big parts of an NBA championship a few years ago when they were relatively young players in the league. And so what I made of what, I made of what Masai said was that he still fully believes in the core, and he fully believes that you had to add pieces. I did think that he sounded a little puzzled as to why this team doesn't play better together for more prolonged stretches. And I mean, I think we've I, I've told you before, we've been spoiled with this team. when stars have been out, they just seem to to roll, you know so this year that hasn't been the case. but uh, you and I both thought this western uh, road trip they just got off of, you know, we'd be both happy with you know four and three we we'd be we'd be ecstatic if they they won that road trip and they did. So maybe that played a part in his decision making as well. What do well, you think? Well, I'm not Brian? sure
1: I agree with uh the road trip having a big impact on Masai's decision making about where the Raptors are at this season, but I will agree with you on this that uh he has to take the rest of the season as he said to assess just what he has with this team because look, there's that argument that This market tends to overinflate the value of the players, uh, most notably Pascal Siakam, uh, OG and Fred Van Vliet, et al. Look, that's ridiculous because, first and foremost, those are the players that every other contending team were asking about. Now, were they giving up enough to make Masai even consider trading them? Absolutely not, because he didn't do that. But to say that their value was overinflated in this market, it, it speaks to a level of, um, Misunderstanding, I think, among some people, because there's no question that each and every one of those players we I just mentioned would add something large to any type of contending team in this season. Now, one of the things that I, I really, that uh, really struck home with me that Masai said, is whether there's a fit here with the four main pieces he's talking about. Gary Trent Jr., Pascal Siakam, OG Anunoby, Fred Van Vliet. And I'm gonna throw Scotty Barnes in there to make it a quintet because he's a big part of the Raptors' future. And that's the question that he's juggling with. Maybe he misread this team in this season, as I've called it a lost season, because the Raptors seem to have lost whatever it was they had in the 10 years that Masai's been there. Tampa Tank year notwithstanding, Um, they've lost something this season. And is that due to fit? He still has yet to determine that, which is why I understand him not making any big moves at the trade deadline. Now, the one move the Raptors did make is pretty significant on a number of levels. I think we should talk about that. And acquiring Jakob Purtle, the former Raptor, who they sent to San Antonio with the DeRozan as part of the Kawhi Leonard deal, has been reacquired for a first-round protected pick in 2024 and subsequent second-round picks in uh, years after. So getting back Jakob Purtle for the Raptors, obviously bringing back a player they're very familiar with, addresses the need of having a rim-protecting seven-footer. But there's more to Pearl's game than just being a rim protector. He's a, To me, he's kind of a cog on offense. The guy is a very underrated passer. He's a completely unselfish player, and he does all the dirty work. And for my liking, Keith, a player like that, puts other players in their proper slots. Because now you have a guy who's willing to subjugate his game to a certain extent so other players can flourish. And he'll do the things that are necessary. You know, make that cut when he has to. Uh, Go to the offensive glass when he needs to. Make that secondary pass to the guy who's making the better pass to get a guy a better shot. That's what Jakob Pertl brings to the team. And there's an an effervescence, or a type of spirit, he has that was evident when he's with the Raptors. And even though we didn't get to see a lot of San Antonio games in this market, I watched quite a few on on the uh, on the streaming services. And I'll tell you, in the time since he's been with the Raptors, this guy has learned a few things, as most players do when they go to San Antonio, about how to play the game of basketball. So he's bringing that together with his previous experience with the Raptors. I think it's a great move by the Raptors. Is it enough to make them a serious contender in the playoffs? Maybe not a serious contender, but they're definitely going to be in the playoff mix if uh, things keep going the way they are. What do you make of that?
2: So this is it. What I, what I make of this is uh, the ESPN uh, sub-headline was, Pirtle is coming home. And that's the reason I like this move. There's reasons I don't like this move, but that's one of the reasons I like this move. He came up as one of the bench bunch for the Raptors. He played with a ton of energy, and I think he can play with the energy that the Raptors need to play with to be successful. Um, so that's, that's the main reason I, I, I like it. I also like it that him and him and uh, Pascal Siakam are close friends and still do some training together in the off season. So it's always good to have that camaraderie on your team, because if you bring somebody in trade deadline, which is, you know, I'd say 65% of your season is already over. There's always concerns that they may not have the right mix it might take you you know 5 10 games to get that mix and i think he'll fit in well with that mix the only other my my concern is i've heard people saying ah oh, you know now we got a 7 footer to battle joel embiid and you know i'm not my concern isn't really his size really isn't him battling joel embiid but again when i watch the raptors there is times when I wonder, do they have an identity? I talked to you about this before, and I was saying during the, you know, at times I'm wondering who's going to make the decisions down the stretch. To me, I, I have to wonder, okay, you, you were going 6'9". Now all of a sudden you got a seven-footer. He's a pretty good rebounder. You, you have to fit him in. How does he fit in? Where does he fit in? I wanna see this passing. I wanna see him is he is he going to play six nine but in a seven footers body and maybe play some defense, hopefully protect the rim? I'm I'm not sure. I mean, does the game change with him in? And more importantly for me, Brian, is does what the Raptors want to do change? Well, well let me when he let me interject
1: in and educate you a little bit here, Keith, about Jakob Purdle. One of the reasons why he was such a, a highly sought-after draft pick coming out in his draft year, gosh, what was it, five years ago now? No, seven years ago, I guess, is simply this. He's a seven-footer who can move his feet. He's a very good defensive player. So that whole Project 6'9 thing, I'm, I, I'm not sure I really buy into that. Um, whether he can fit into that scheme? Absolutely, because he's the type of defending seven-footer who can get out and get back well enough as at the size of seven feet. And is he a rim protector? The guy's a very good shot blocker. We've seen that with the Spurs, and we saw that most notably when he's with the Raptors as part of that bench squad. He Is he a game-changing type of player? No, he but he's a role player who can start and impact the game with his defensive intelligence and mobility. He's the kind of player who the Raptors, quite frankly, haven't had since they were trying to develop him before he was traded. And um and I think that one of the great things about this, it once again I'm talking about slotting players into the proper position. They're not going to have to rely on Christian Coloco to be that rim-defending seven-footer, which is a role he's going to have to grow into. And he's not ready to play right now on a regular basis for the Raptors. So, is going to come in and likely be a starter for the Raptors, which will change the rotations quite a bit. And it gives them that fluidity in in, uh, substitutions. That they've been looking for all season because now you can build your starting lineup depending on need do you need a precious achua in the starting lineup Then you slot him in okay maybe you don't need that big who's uh eminently mobile and can cover all five positions maybe you need more shooting in the starting lineup hello gary trent green or you can bring him off the bench that fluidity with the lineup that Past, or, uh, Jakob Purtle allows the Raptors to have is something that's going to make a big difference in how they play going forward and I think that's going to be immediate because as you said there is no problem with fit here he's going to come in and be as the ESPN headline said at home with this player with this team and this franchise it's an important thing to note too, Keith, that uh, one of the big things about making trades at this point in the season, as you said, what, 65% of the season is done, is how a team can come together when there's been big dynamic changes, which we will talk about with other teams, specifically in the West, coming up in a few minutes here. But with the Raptors, that's not going to be an issue because Pertle knows the team, knows the system, knows the coach. He knows the city for crying out loud. It's going to be a pretty easy fit, and I think his impact is going to be um, something to look forward to as this season continues towards, uh, hopefully, a good playoff run. How deep it's going to be? Well, (laughs) let's just say I'm still not over the fact that this is a lost season for the Raptors because they're not quite the team we thought they were going to be, and whether they can become that team is still up for debate but they're definitely trending towards being a, a playoff team. How much of a factor they'll be in the playoffs is yet to be determined, of course.
2: Well, you know what? That's the thing. Right now the Raps are uh what? They're, they're in, in the playing. In 10 they're 10 in, 10 in the playing spot. They're in the yeah. play Yeah, they're in the play on They're in the playing spot just ahead of just ahead of Washington who's also 13 and a half, uh 13 and a half games back but with one less loss in the loss column. Um, but there are only three games. What are they? Four and a half games out Mm -hmm. of six. So, I mean, if the Raptors can play with energy and they've got a good right, right now, they've got a nice little stretch here of teams that are not exactly juggernauts, uh, to play against. If they can pick up some games, uh, pick up some wins at home. Hey, that that's great. As for the trade, I really – I didn't expect to have – actually, to be honest, I didn't expect to have a massive trade coming the Raptors' way. I mean, as Masai Ujiri said, you know, he wasn't going to jump the gun on something that wasn't a big deal and wasn't a fit for the team as constructed, which also tells me that he was going going to keep the main cogs – in the Raptors' wheel, unless something like like something hit him over the well, head. Well, what did he say? A, if you listen to the his
1: press conference, he was offered nothing compelling. That's going to make him, you know, yeah. blow this team up in a way that's going to impact them now and in the future. He got nothing compelling, so why should he even contemplate making a move? Uh, kind of all makes sense when you think about it. And look, as you said, Keith. It, it, there's no reason for them to make any move at this point in the season anyway, despite the trade deadline just passing. There's more options available in the offseason, and it gives them a greater field to pick from and to choose from. And also, they're going to have to make some decisions based on the contracts that are coming up in the offseason with some of their unrestricted free agents.
2: Yeah, you know what? I, I, to be honest, I wouldn't have minded. There was some uh, There were some veteran guards to be had. And I'm still worried about Fred, Fred Van Vliet. I well, mean, based, on, me, based on based on what? Because for the last
1: three weeks, he's probably been the Raptors um, best player. <laughs> so there's not a lot oh, to yeah, worry yeah. about no, no, there I'm right not, now. I,
2: I'm not I'm not worried and I'm not worried about his performance. I was gonna say, for me, and you know, people think I'm nuts, but for me, he's a top five point guard in the NBA. I don't think you're I don't think i love Fred for saying Van that. Game. I think
1: he's just a remarkable player. Remarkable. Yeah,
2: yeah. I I think he's I. But the only thing that can stand really, and uh, that worries me with him is, as I've said many times, is the high minutes. And if you, uh, you know, I would have minded, you know, bringing someone in just to steal a couple of minutes from from in the point guard spot. Um, they've been doing remarkably well with the rotation, as you've seen in the last in the last few games, and it, you know, taking guys out you know at the beginning of the fourth quarter end of the third and resting them for the stretch run of the games and hey as long as fred can stay fresh uh you know that's that's the thing i think it's a priority to keep him fresh down the down uh as you're trying to make up ground absolutely cuz i think this raptors team are poised to make up some ground but uh you know fred's health for me uh, you know is a major major yeah. key major well the raptors
1: key. are about to hit a soft spot in their schedule so they, they shit you know If they can play up to their potential, and that's been the problem all season long, is finding that consistent level of good play that they just haven't quite hit all all season long. But if they can do that going forward, they've got a chance to make up quite a few games fairly quickly against uh, some of the lesser lights in the NBA. Um, But you did touch on something there, Keith, with Fred Van Vliet and his minutes that we really should talk about. Because if you watch what's going on with Malachi Flynn and Delano Blanton or Banton, they they are starting to get some play in, in the rotation. And if that's going to happen in the back half of the schedule, then I think your worry and if, and definitely my worry too about Fred breaking down and uh, his minutes creeping up, that might be alleviated um, going forward. And let's let's hope that's the case because I I for one would like to see Malachi Flynn emerge as a significant bench player for the Raptors, rather than this inconsistent here and there thing he's been for much of his career on the squad. If that can happen, then I think that the Raptors will be better off in the long run. And I actually think, based on what Masai Ujiri said today, that he thinks that would be the case too. Look, part of the Raptors' mantra as an organization is what? Player development. Well, you really have to develop your players by giving them playing time, but they got to earn it and they got to earn the coach's trust. And that's that juggling act, right? How do you earn the coach's trust if you're not getting the time? And when you get the time, how do you make sure you keep the coach's trust for giving you that time? You got to play well. You got to hit your shots. You got to play defense. And sometimes uh, for players like Malachi Flynn and Delano Banton, that's been a bit of a struggle. Now, of late, we've seen more productive minutes from Malachi Flynn. So let's hope that down the stretch he does become that guy who can eat up some of those minutes that Fred's just been gobbling up for much of this season.
2: Yeah, well, let's. Yeah, as I was going to say, I definitely hope that is the case. I mean, it's it's got to be buy-in. It was interesting what uh, um, was said by what was said today because I I kind of think you know they when they want to see fit and want to see what we have. Part of my mind is thinking just the big core guys, but maybe some of that fit and what we have extends to the bench as well.
0: Oh, you know yeah. what I mean?
2: With a, yeah. with a Malachi. Sure. Club. Maybe it's time for those guys to step up. Maybe during this, as you said, soft part of the schedule, maybe they get even more opportunity, and hopefully you can keep Fred and you know and Pascal. who never gets tired, but hopefully you can keep some of these guys fresher but i think the bigger part is hopefully the other guys get some opportunity to steal you know 8 10 12 minutes a night and and uh show what they can do not just keep you know the core guys fresh but show what they can do and you know the opportunity which was quite interesting the uh, the last few games they've had the opportunity to take big shots and you're you know it's kind of tough to sit on a bench all day and then come in and be asked to take a big shot in a close game. But, you know, you've seen a Malachi Flynn. What I love about the guy is he's, he's not no. shy. If the shot is there, he takes that big looping uh, three-pointer that pretty much hits the rafters. But, you know, he's not afraid to take it. So hopefully in this stretch, as you said, they get opportunity. And I want to see that. I, I really want to see that because I think going forward, even if you are going to make offseason moves – you, you got to see what you have behind these guys as well, right? Unquestionably. You know, I, I know you're trying to make the playoffs, but you got to know what you have. If you think you may move on from, from a player, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I I think hopefully that opportunity is spread out throughout the lineup is really what I'm trying to mm. say.
1: Well, that's as good a place as any to wrap up our look at the Raptors at the trade deadline. Jakob Purtle comes home and that's going to be a good thing for the Toronto Raptors. Well, You know, they weren't the only team that was somewhat active at the trade deadline, and I think that uh, we should take a look at some of the moves that were made as uh, we're seeing the end of one supposedly super team in the East, and now we see the birth of apparently another super team in the West because on the heels of Kyrie Irving being traded to Dallas, Kevin Durant was traded to the Phoenix Suns to join Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton, so he goes from the detritus of one supposed super team to the rising sun of another super team in Phoenix. Kevin Durant just seems to, man, find a way to go to great teams. Can you believe this,
2: hey, Brian? I don't think I've seen a bigger trade at any trade deadline in any sport yeah. ever. That's how big I think this yeah. is.
1: I, I couldn't. I, 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 could, I, could. I was about searching my memory banks like. Maybe Shaq. was in 2004? Didn't he get traded? Was it 2004? Shaq. Was he traded? Yes. Yeah, that Shaq, was the last. That was the I, I only. That's the only thing I think that can come close to this. Like,
2: put it this way: Before Kevin Durant got injured, what were people MVP. saying that he could be this year? MVP? The Nets had 17, won what? Thirteen 17 in a row. Of
1: Nineteen.
2: Six. Yeah, I was going to say 17 of 19, 13 yeah. in a row. And and Kevin Durant was shooting uh during that stretch. He was shooting 60%. That's insane. Over yeah, shooting 60%. He's shooting 56% for the whole mm. season. You know, and he was way over. He was at what, 35, 36 points a game in that yeah. stretch. So, I mean, a guy that you're talking about as an MVP, and I know obviously there are other factors other factors he wanted to go you know but he's still under contract for three plus years and to have him moved you know what's funny about the Nets is I was watching them play with Cam Thomas and some of their other young guys and I was thinking to myself you know what even without Kyrie maybe when Durant comes back you know these guys can these guys can still make a run in the east. I mean, I, I believe what what are they in right now? Are they in Are they in fourth right now in the East, or third? Or I think third? they're
1: still in third. They're barely they're... clinging on. No, wait a second. They're no, they no, dropped
2: no. down. They're actually in fifth.
1: They're, in, they're fifth, in fifth. Yeah,
2: but they're but they're but they're tied. You know the NBA standings. They're they're tied with Cleveland in the loss yeah. column. So yeah, I was you know I was thinking when Kevin Durant comes back, uh, which he's supposed to come back even maybe next week or the end mm-hmm. of this week. That, you know, with, with these guys that they have that are showing that they can play, that they can make a run. So, yeah, this, this was a blockbuster. It's crazy that it happened, you know, in, in the middle of the night when it did, uh, just to add to the shock value. So, because when, uh, when I was looking at my, I woke up and I was looking at my phone at about 4.30 in the morning and I saw, the, I hit a ESPN and there was this Kevin Durant smiling face <laughs> in a Phoenix jersey. And I was just like, first of all, wow, Kevin Durant smiling like that. <laughs> but second, he's in a Phoenix jersey. I mean, unbelievable. Like, I can't, I can't. You know, the the way that this is going to shake up both conferences. I mean, is is crazy. I know you're you're talking about. Is this another super mm-hmm. team? The one thing about Phoenix, what I love about this move, is that Chris Paul is desperate. To win a championship he's he's come close but other thing and you know injury generally waylaid by injury but he is desperate you can say that a lot of players they all everybody wants to win but he's desperate he might be the best player currently playing who's never won a championship
1: yeah I wouldn't argue with that and And I think you know who's also desperate to win a championship and apparently was a key player in making this deal come to fruition how about the new owner of the Phoenix Suns, Matt Ishbia, and talk about making a splash as an owner, bringing in a you know a $150 million player onto your roster, putting them well into the luxury tax, didn't care, said we got to get this deal done, make it happen. Because this deal was being talked about and almost did not come to fruition until Matt Ishbia stepped in and went to Joseph Sainz and said, we're gonna make this deal happen. Now they had to give up a lot because Michael Bridges is a great player. Uh Jay Crowder got out from under the Suns' uh feet, and now he's gonna be, he landed in Milwaukee as as part of the uh, trade between the Bucs and the Nets. But it's just unbelievable that a player of Kevin Durant's stature uh has moved and created another super team in the West with the Phoenix Suns. And I'll tell you something, Keith. That is gonna be one of the best offenses we've seen in a long time in the NBA. But who's gonna stop anybody on defense? I mean, Kevin Durant's a an okay defensive player. Devin Booker has yet to break a sweat on defense. And Chris Paul is not quite the defensive player or terror he used to be. So having lost Mikhail Bridges as part of the package that went to the Nets, the Brooklyn, or sorry, the Phoenix Suns better have the best offense in the NBA, which it looks like they just might. Denver Nuggets notwithstanding. Um but they're going to need it because they're not going to be stopping anybody with the the players they have on that roster at this point.
2: Yeah, well, you know how it is, though. They, I mean, just like they said when uh, they had the super team of Harden, Irving, and Durant going over to Brooklyn, they were just going to score everybody. did. <laughs> That's yeah. yeah. But you know what? And interestingly enough, my son asked me today, how many games did they play together? Do you know how many games that those guys played together in Brooklyn? Uh, Do you want me to guess? Game? Take a guess. I'm going to say
1: less than 20.
2: You're correct, sir. 16 games. That
1: is insane.
2: 16 games. Isn't that crazy? And you know what? Their record was 13 and three in those 16 games. So they obviously performed. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, they obviously performed. I mean, they were five and one in the playoffs, this regular season and playoffs together. But 16 and, uh, sorry, 16 and uh, 16 games, 13 and three. That's it. So you can construct a super team, but other things can, you know, other things can come in the way and come into play and come, into the, come in the way of your performance. Well, but yeah, other yeah, I mean, things, got, by,
1: what do you mean by that? Like Kyrie Irving, for one? <laughs> Kyrie Irving, injury. Yeah, yeah
2: injury, yeah. you know, guys not passing the ball, getting the ball where they want it. I mean, I think the, the, a key for Phoenix is Devin Booker. Can he, you know, kind of, can he take his game down a, not- a notch and defer to well, Kevin Durant? He, well, you know Kevin what, Kevin Durant Keith, actually that, can that, play that, with other yeah, players. You know
1: what, though, Keith? That's an interesting question. But I'll tell you this. One of the things that Kevin Durant has shown he's able to do, he can fit in. He can fit in, man. Oh, yeah, no, I and know And if he you've can. got a guy who's... He says he's not seven feet tall, but let's call a spade a spade. The dude is dude seven uh-huh. feet tall. Who's willing to just well, he's, pop he slouches jumpers a bit. as part he pop, pop jumpers as part of your offense and just slide in and out here and there? Kevin Durant is the guy to do that because he's he's just he's a machine. He's a scoring jump shooting machine. All you have to do is get the ball into his hands and boom, you've got two or three points right there. You know, 60% of the oh, time. Yeah. So he can fit in with anybody, any type of player, because he is a scoring machine who doesn't necessarily demand the ball, but still needs to get the ball because he's going to put it in the hoop.
2: What I love about that is you said he doesn't demand the ball, but he's going to get the ball. And you're right, you're going to have one of the best passers in NBA history setting him up, you know, looking for him, getting the, the ball to him in the right spot. I mean, there's not really spots that aren't right for KD, but... Getting the ball to him in the right spot, <laughs> dude. And yeah, is I, there know,
1: a spot on the floor the guy can't score from?
2: No, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm clear. I'm saying that. Yeah, he can score from any position. And you know what? I it, it's sort of strange though. He's got three and uh, a third years left on mm-hmm. his deal, but somehow though, Brian, I got to be honest. When I was thinking of it, I'm like, yeah, this is a short term deal. I almost thought this is a rental for one, <laughs> for one yeah. run. At the championship, you know, and and again, you know, Devin Booker, can he, you know, bring his game back a bit? I mean, he's been out for a while, so I know he's back playing, but he, he'd been out for a while and watching. So maybe that time watching, um, you know, may maybe doesn't have to be so much of a lead dog. Because when you play with Chris Paul, Chris Paul is, is willing, especially at this stage of the game. Well, no, he's always been willing to... To, you know, be more of a setup man who takes high quality shots. And uh, yeah, I I think a lot of, not pressure, but a lot of this is going to depend on the way Devin Booker accepts this new reality. Because they, yeah, they had Mikhail Bridges. They had Cam Johnson who could shoot. But Devin Booker was clearly, when he was there, the lead scorer. Now Kevin Durant comes into the mix. He's always option number one especially when the shot clock is winding down and especially when the, the game is close. He's option number one. So can Devin Booker now slide over to being option number well, two? Well,
1: wouldn't it be more of a 1A, and that's, one that's going to be part N, of 1B type scenario? You've got a, a, yeah, I don't a think super so. heater uh, scorer in Devin Booker and a super heater scorer and in, in Kevin Durant, I don't think there's any deference necessary in, in, in that there's going to be a way that they can both coexist as lead dogs in terms of scoring. Because that's just the nature of basketball. when you, like you said, you have a guy like Chris Paul who knows how to run things, I think that there's no, there's no deferring necessary. It's like what situation you have in Golden State. If Klay Thompson's on fire, he's getting the ball. If Stephen Curry's on fire, which is just about every night, he's getting the ball. If Andrew Wiggins is on fire, he's getting the ball. That's the way the game of basketball should be played. You put the ball in the hands of the guy who's on fire, and to me, that's exactly what the Phoenix Suns are going to do. If Kevin Durant is on one, you're going to see him get his, you know, get the ball. And but if similarly, same with Devin Booker, Chris Paul knows that he's been around long enough to know that. I don't think there's going to be any deference necessary in terms of how the ball gets shared. It's so like, okay, you got yours. Now it's time for me to get mine. Real players don't do that. Real players know how to play the game well enough. And I and I count these guys as as real ones because they've been in the league long enough. And frankly, their, their track record speaks to that. So I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. So to say that one's going to have to defer to the other... I can't I can't get behind that. I don't think that's going to be a situation at all.
2: No, I'm not saying one is going to have to defer to the other. I'm saying Devin Booker is going to have to defer to Kevin Durant. And I, I don't think Devin Booker has been in this situation in his career. I mean, if you want to go back to Kentucky, yeah, he was in this situation. But I don't think he's been in this situ- situation in the NBA. Kevin Durant has been, and we see that he's totally willing to take a step back when he needs to for the team to be successful. So, I mean, I I, I don't know much about Devin Booker. I mean, I I see he's a, you know, he's, they got to the finals. uh, Phoenix got to the finals a couple years ago. They had that great regular season team last year, only they got bounced by Dallas, right, Uh, in the conference semis. Last mm-hmm. year, so you know this is a big step. What the other thing that out of curiosity is, if they win it all, and odds makers have made
1: them the favorite, which I think already. is ridiculous because um, Denver if, is still out there with the MVP oh, and with hey. a fresh and invigorated looking Jamal Murray. So let's not sleep on the Denver Nuggets, yeah. who we'll get to in a second.
2: Oh no, no, not at not at all. But this the thing is, if they win it all. Again, what does this say for Kevin Durant and his legacy? Because there's still that lingering thing that hey, this guy couldn't do it without Steph. Remember, there was that whole thing Steph couldn't, well, even though Steph did do it without KD before. But but when they when uh, Golden State won last year, it really cemented Steph's legacy yep. to win one to win it without KD. Even uh, you know, even though he was a unanimous MVP, the only the only person to do that. What does this say about KD if they win it all? Does he, you know what I mean? Is he up there with the LeBron Jameses of the world with the Jordans? I mean, this will be uh, you know, it'll be his third ship, but d- does he need to go to a super team? And that's what they're saying. This, this is a win for super teams. It was a loss for one super team and a win for a new well, super team. He, him does he have him to be coming there makes it a
1: super team. They weren't a super team before he got there. And uh, and oh, I, you yeah, know for I, I, sure. and that term gets thrown around because of the, the because of the impact that Kevin Durant has. But are they a super team in in reality? Time will tell, I guess. But at, at this juncture, they had the look and the makings of a super team. But super teams are teams that win, you know, at the end of the day. You can't be a super team unless you win in my books. I, that, that, that would be part of my definition of a super team and frankly Brooklyn had aspirations of being that never got there for obvious reasons but uh, Phoenix they have an opportunity to do just that I want to change tacks now and, and get away from the whole Phoenix Sun super team thing and talk about a team that is the opposite of that even though they have one of the best players of all time and that of course is the Los Angeles Lakers the moves they made at the deadline totally reshaped their team like, I can't believe they were able to get rid of Russell Westbrook first and foremost. That is an unbelievable move. And the fact that they were able to bring in a guy who can uh, give them some size in the front line, they brought in a shooter in Bones Highland. They brought back D'Angelo Russell as part of that Westbrook trade. It's, um, it's the kind of thing that everyone's been saying about LeBron James since he came into the league. You put shooters around a guy like that, and he can bring you a championship. Well, now they've done that with D'Angelo De- Russell, who's shooting about 40% from three. Malik Beasley, who can shoot the ball from the outside, and Rui Hashimera, who also can shoot the ball from three. All of a sudden, the future does the, the immediate future for the Lakers does not look so bleak anymore. If you have a like arguably the greatest player of all time, not named Michael Jordan on your team, and you surround him with a supporting cast that can actually be a supporting cast with Anthony Davis being an interested and uninjured player, doesn't that kind of put the Los Angeles Lakers as one of the scarier teams in the West coming from the bottom of the pack and you're going to have to face them early on? That would scare the bejesus out of me.
2: Yeah, you know what? I I was... uh... Surprised as many people were that the Lakers were able to move Westbrook. I know we don't talk a lot of money, but the guy's making he's making 47 mm. mil, 47 mil. You know, so that was that was it. I mean, to get uh, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt, who uh, again a former Kentucky player. I remember him from college as a no nonsense rebounder type. Go get the ball. Who I think that everybody needs. And Malik Beasley, I didn't realize, Brian, that he's one of the top five by percentage yes. shooters, three-point shooters in well, the NBA. Well, that's what I'm saying. they I they no finally got,
1: They got three shooters in the last 10 days, including Rui Hachimura yeah. with the Russell and, and Beasley. All of a sudden, they've got the type of team that LeBron James can flourish with. This could be a scary situation happening here in Los Angeles with the Lakers.
2: Um, yeah, I, I, I think it can be. I think another part of what we need what we need to see is the lakers playing defense i mean i watched them play uh when lebron shout out to lebron for becoming the all-time leading scorer in the nba i watched most of that game and it was interesting to me like you know they they didn't seem like they could stop anybody yep yeah. and they 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 didn't seem which i think a very underrated bones highland might be able to help in some minutes mm-hmm. off the bench you know this guy, you know, it's—he's it, not a well-known quantity, but he's—he was such a nice player last season, and in this season, um, particularly, but when uh, when uh, Dame was was out, but as soon as he came, I, I was actually watching and looking at their their roster, looking at the, at Portland's minutes, and this guy had some DNP's. In the last, did not play uh, coach's decisions in his last few games. And I was wondering what was going to happen with him. And now I see it. Like, he is a tough, he's a tough guard, tough player, drives the ball. I wouldn't say he's the, he's the, he's, he's a streaky shooter. He's not the greatest jump shooter, but he can put up points. But I, I just like the, the uh, toughness he brings to the perimeter game on defense. And I think the Lakers really need that. Actually, because I I don't think scoring, especially when LeBron is playing like he is, scoring is their biggest issue. But yeah, of course, you know, it's always great to play with outside shooters and Beasley is going to be huge. But I think they really need to toughen up that defense. And I'm hoping that some of these parts, because you know what? I'm not a Lakers fan, but I'm a LeBron fan. I think it's The league is better. You know, certain players, the league's better when they play better and they get far into the playoffs. I know the league wants it, but as a fan, I want to see that too. So I'd love for them to make a big run here and get into the actual, forget the play-in, but get into an actual playoff spot. And with some of these moves, I think you can because you got shooting, but you also got guys who will do the dirty work, uh, you know, on the boards and on the perimeter. I think that's just as important as the shooting.
1: Oh, no question. And I'll tell you their their defensive capabilities begin and end with Anthony Davis. However, with the acquisition of uh, jared uh, Jared Vanderbilt, Bones Highland, and to a lesser extent Rui Hachimura who's a capable defender they've definitely improved their defensive potential whether it all comes together though really does depend on the health of Anthony Davis if he can be a factor like he was i hate to say it in the in the in the bubble season um it's a completely different ball game for the for the Lakers so we'll have to see how things uh play out with them but i do like the moves they made to surround LeBron James with some serious shooting. Um boy, I, they're going to be a team to watch if they can climb up into the rankings and grab a playoff spot and do you want to play them in the first round in a short series with LeBron James capable of going off at any moment? I I wouldn't. Not a prospect I'd be looking forward to.
2: Yeah, I mean, you never want to, you know, you never want to to play against a guy like LeBron when there's something to really and truly play for. Um, because, you know, he rises to the occasion. I mean, they've got, uh, you know, I think they're just half a game behind where the Raptors are right now. And I'm wondering if if the outlook to me, though, so the Raptors largely stood pat, they got Jakob Hurdle, and the Lakers made some moves. Um, whose outlook do you think is, is better to actually, to forget the play-in, but to actually make it into a playoff Uh, you know, into the top six. Do you think either team can make it into the top six after the moves or non-moves that they didn't make? Well,
1: I'm glad you brought that up, Keith, because that was exactly how I wanted to wrap this up, was because I think both of the teams we're talking about at this juncture, the Raptors and the Lakers, have an interesting last third of the season to look forward to. And who do I think can make the most hay in terms of getting into a playoff position? I got to go with the Lakers, and I'll tell you why. I I think that LeBron James is going to be rejuvenated by the acquisitions the Lakers were able to make. Um, I think I said it before, and I'll say it again. If you can surround LeBron James with competent shooting, um, he has the knack for getting to the final. He's done that in his career with teams that have had less talent than he has available to him at this point with the Lakers. Um, But it all depends on Anthony Davis. If he can be a factor, then yes. I think the Lakers will definitely climb up into a playoff spot. Here's one thing, though, about the Raptors and their pursuit of having a found season after foundering for much of the this season, or as I used to say, a lost season. If they want to salvage this lost season, they have that within themselves to do it because I'm pretty sure it was Pascal Siakam who said this in one of his post-game conferences, press conferences. Um, there's no doubt that they can play with any of the best teams in the league when they're playing at their best. But that's the problem with this Raptors team in this particular season. They have not had great stretches where they've played at their best for long enough to become a factor. And I don't know if that's going to become apparent even with the addition of Jakob Pertl who slots players in the proper positions by having him in the starting lineup. Um even if he does have the impact defensively, that He potentially could have. I'm not sure that they've got enough of a runway to get to the point where they are a team that can be a factor. Now, is that possible? Absolutely. Is it probable? I'm unsure of that. So I'm going to go with the Lakers as being the team that climbs into a playoff position and just hope that the Raptors can do that and salvage something from this lost season.
2: You know what's funny is I... I... I think the Lakers obviously added more and more complementary pieces uh, to their, you know, their two main guys. Um, but when I look at the West, the Lakers have a tough hill to climb, and I don't, I don't think it's getting any easier. we just, we just said, you know, Kevin Durant is in the West yeah. now. Kyrie Irving is in the West now. You know, the surprising Sacramento Kings. You know. Memphis has, you know, it, it, it's unbelievable that Memphis hit a hit a, hit a a bad spell, like two and eight in their last- The curse finish. of Shannon Sharp. And they're still, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they're still 12 games, you know, they're playing at an over 600 clip. They're 12 games above 500. Yeah. So the, the Lakers, while I think the Lakers are going to get better as a team, I think that you know, they might have, with you know, they've got, what, uh, 27 games left? So, they've, they've got pretty much one-third of the season mm-hmm. left. Um, so, they've got, you know, did they leave it, you know, not the trades, but their move, did they leave it too late? And I'm not talking about making play uh, the play-in game, because I certainly think that they can overtake the Utahs and the Portlands of the world. OKC looks great, but I think they can even overtake OKC, maybe even Golden State to make it into the play-in position. But I'm not sure if they can they can make it into, into a top six. In fact, I don't think they can make it into a top six. I mean, when you think about it, the Clippers are six right yeah. now. Yeah. And that's a that's a big thing. I mean, Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, Dallas, Phoenix, Clippers. I mean, that looks really daunting. I mean, LeBron put on his cape, has put on his Superman cape. Over the last, what, since 20, uh, since his birthday, yep. right? <laughs> December 30th, he's put on the Superman cape. But, I mean, this would be a real, a real challenge, even for him. And I, and you're right. Uh, a, you know, does a brow Anthony Davis stay healthy? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the only way I think that this team, Anthony Davis, he's going to, let's be honest, he's going to rest some of those 27 games. But I think Anthony Davis has got to play about twenty-three of those twenty-seven games just for the Lakers to have a shot at sixth place. And that's that's really the key. Again, I guess both the Raptors and the Lakers, it's the same thing, right? It's health. Coming down to health. You know, can they make a run? You know, and the Lakers, I think with the Lakers, I think it's it's less about the mix than, you know, have they left it too late. You know, 27 games. Do they need to go 20 and seven just to make it to the sixth spot? And is that possible? I think that's pretty much what you'd have to look at. At 20 and seven to make the kind of moves, the ground that they need to do. Maybe even higher. Maybe even a higher percentage than that. Yeah.
1: Well, obviously there were more moves made to uh, that trade deadline than the ones we talked about. But for my money, Keith, those are the ones that are the most uh, exciting, most impactful, and the and the ones that make. The teams that we talked about, the Phoenix Suns, the Toronto Raptors, and the Los Angeles Lakers, the teams to watch in the final third of the season. So that's it for our NBA trade deadline version of the Puck and Hoop podcast. Come right back here for more from the Puck and Hoop podcast as we'll have our next full episode coming up real soon. Don't you dare miss it.
2: If you're listening to this announcement, you've made it
1: to the end of another
2: T.I.Y.P. narrowcast. The opinions, views, and statements you've heard on this edition of Puckin' Hoop are solely those of the host guests and their sources. The purpose of the Fucking Hoop narrowcast is to entertain and inform our listeners, followers, and subscribers, and to help them form their own opinions. Thanks for listening.